APG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 384. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from APG Mobile Headquarters in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Today's special show is recorded on the 21st of July, Episode: A small plane carrying skydivers crashes in Sweden, and Pakistan reopens its airspace to civilian flights. More news, your feedback, and in today's plane tales, kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seatbacks in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 384 from Oshkosh is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast, and we are all here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, for the EAA Air Venture. We're going to introduce everyone anyway, just in case you don't know who these people are, from Oshkosh. A doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot is Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. And um, that's okay. I certainly need the refresher on whoever and what their role is here and what they're doing. Yeah. Good point. Okay. Well, there you go. And from across the table, a professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, current captain for an international airline based in London, it's Captain Nick. Well, hi, everybody. Great to be here, the other side of the world, at this um, water festival. Did you bring your swimsuit? Uh, no, sadly. I've been running around naked then. That is sad. <laughs> That's very sad. <laughs> All right. And also, across the table, actually right next to me, he is a barbecue master, motors- motorcycle rider, pontoon boat skipper, underwater photographer, and captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier, Captain Dana. Well, I got lost, folks. I found my way to Oshkosh somehow to join the party. It's great to be here. Yes, we're glad you're here. A little bit late, but... Better late than never, right? All right, so as we said, we're here at Oshkosh. Today is actually, uh, the air venture is not quite officially started. That will start tomorrow. And, but we uh, arrived, well, Captain Nick and I arrived on Thursday in this beautiful RV. And uh, it is now Sunday, and the official start day for air venture is tomorrow morning, Monday. The whatever day that is, 21st, 22nd, 21st, I think. 22nd. 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 Today's the 21st. Thank you. And man, Nick and I have been having a great time. He came in last weekend, and you'll remember because we just recorded the show uh, the the day that he came in. And then on Monday morning, we left uh, for uh, Dayton, Ohio, and the U.S. Air Force Museum, but stopped in Lexington, Kentucky to do a tour of the Big Ass Fan Company, and we had a great time. Greg Peterson was our host. He works at the company, and he gave us a grand tour, and it was a lot of fun. It was, most certainly, and thank you very much indeed for Greg 
uh, giving us his time, uh, demonstrating those big donkey fans. They were very impressed. Sorry, big ass fans. Very impressive. Yeah. Wouldn't you say big ass? No. No. Okay. <laughs> um, and so we kept kept on going after our little tour and headed up to Oshkosh. No, we didn't. We went, we headed up to Dayton. Uh, arrived at our Airbnb and then we uh, met up with a few folks at a bar, Ladder Eleven or something like that, and had a nice uh, beer or two and uh, some nice food. And uh, next day we went to the U.S. Air Force Museum. A, a whole bunch of people joined us there. And then after our big grand meetup at the U.S. Air Force Museum, spent pretty much most of the day there. Actually, before we went there, uh, Nick and I uh, had a real treat. Uh, Major Rick Bell invited us to uh, join him in a C-17 simulator, and it was a blast. We uh, got to fly that, and uh, what do you want to say about well, that? Fly, in inverted commas, because yeah. it was like no airplane I've ever tried to fly before. The weirdest collection of hand-flying and automatics, I think, that... Uh, <laughs> I was just kind of confused a lot of the time. It, it was a different way of flying. Um, it, it's an entirely different way of flying altogether. Yeah. It's a different... All, altogether. Yeah. Where's that from? Airplane? airplane. Okay. <laughs> I wonder if I have that uh, sound effect. Probably somewhere. It's an entirely different kind of flying altogether. It's, it's an, an entirely, entirely different, different kind of flying. flying. Anyway, uh, we had a grand time and managed not to crash the uh, airplane or the simulator. And Although I noticed every time I got close to the ground, the controls became a bit stiffer. Huh. Yeah, a bit harder to move. Yeah. They're very uh, odd there. Might have been uh, yeah. Major Rick on the controls. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it was a great time. Then we went to the museum and met up with all these great people. And then uh, afterwards, several of the people that were there at the museum also... Uh, came out and joined us at another uh, another bar, uh, like a local co-op or brew pub or something. And we had a great meal there and uh, some more great beer. And then uh, we called it a night. Next day, we uh, headed out from Dayton to Mokina, Illinois, actually Flossmore. And I've, I was always wondering why the people in that town all had great teeth. <laughs> do they floss more? I think they do. I huh? think they floss. I think more. it's mandated if you live in a yeah. town with that name. You must floss more than the average person. Anyway, uh, that's such a good joke, Jeff. Yeah, I know. Thank yeah. you. He's only heard it a few times. Yeah. And uh, another Airbnb there, a little coach uh, house. I think that's what they called it, coach house, next to another house. And uh, we had a nice meal at the at the bar at the uh, train oh, station. Good. The train station bar was very good. I like that. Yeah, had a good time there. And then. Uh, we uh, slept another night, and then the next day we headed over to the gentleman uh, who, from whom we rented this beautiful RV, and he gave us a two to three hour checkout on all the systems. This is a very complicated thing. Um, the systems of the uh, of the RV and how to do all the slide outs and other safety precautions. Uh, showed us how to drive the thing, went around the block, and then he said, "Okay." Mr. Deaf, sit down. You have it. And so we did a little test drive, and he wanted to be sure that I uh, wasn't going to crash the thing, I guess. And we passed the muster, not the mustard, and uh, headed off for Oshkosh. And about three and a half hours, just under three and a half hours later, we were here in Oshkosh. Would you like to add any flavor? 
to that. Yeah, there was a lot of screaming, most of which uh, <laughs> was done by me, uh, particularly when a, a great big uh, purple uh, garbage can flew off a, a truck in front of us, and Jeff had, like, nowhere to go, so we just carried on and ran it over. Yep. That's the only thing we could do. Yeah. So, so there's now a very flat purple garbage can sitting in the middle of the I-40 or other. Yes, or whatever right. interstate that was at the time. How was your uh, first night in the RV? Was it? How was the weather? Ah, did get a little bit uh, exciting. I've never uh, been uh, subject to a tornado warning before. Uh, luckily, it wasn't for Wisconsin. No, we're not Wisconsin. We're in Winnebago. It wasn't for our county, was it? No, well, yeah, Winnebago County. Uh, most of the severe weather was just a little bit to the north of us. I think they had a tornado touchdown in Appleton. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I heard. And, and we just had thunderstorms, horrendously heavy rain, big, uh, big, uh, oh, fascinating clouds, a lot of wind uh, as the uh, gust fronts went through, and uh, it all got very exciting for a while. So I just drank until I fell asleep, and that was it. I didn't have to endure it anymore. Yeah, that's pretty much a common thing every day. Just drink enough to basically pass out and then you don't hear a thing <laughs> just kidding <laughs> but it was very sad i mean we were great we got our spot and it's a great spot but very sad for a lot of the uh, other people trying to get in and take up their camping spots or whether some people had their tents completely swamped uh, blown over and things there was some aircraft damage certainly up at appleton where aircraft were landing because they weren't able to get in here um, and then we had a second front go through, and that was equally bad. And so basically the place has become pretty waterlogged. It has. So I'm just looking out the window here. You may hear it in the background. We have the windows open. Uh, even though this, this does have a very nice three-air uh, conditioning system, which I'm thinking we probably should have just left all that on and just closed the windows. I don't know. It was, it was pretty noisy, like, consistently. Yeah. But I'm looking out the window here, and I'm seeing a whole bunch of uh, RVs and uh, trailers and such. So they must have finally opened up the gates yeah. for these people to come in. As we just before we started uh, recording the show, we learned that um, they they had stopped departures a couple of days ago because of the weather and arrivals. then I'm mean, sorry, arrivals and uh, uh, the saturation of the ground and uh, the uh, on the airport and taxiways and everything else. Uh, they couldn't really park the people on the grass unless you had like those big tundra tires. And uh, I, we just learned right before we started recording that they have reopened the arrivals. So everybody's finally coming in and apparently they've opened up the uh, arrivals of the uh, the big rig campers here in the RV area. So that's what you're hearing in the background. But that's good news because these people have been out there for a couple of days. Yeah, they've been like parked at the mall parking lot and just like on a side street. Not really the Oshkosh experience they were hoping for. It was great timing for Nick and I because we came in on Thursday afternoon before all the bad weather, wet weather and such. And uh, so it, it was just lucky uh, timing, I guess, that we got here when we did. You want to say something, Dana? I was going to say that, you know, we thought about doing it outside. Would have been a whole lot more noisy if we were outside doing this right now. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> uh, I got to sit in that line today. Uh, fortunately, we were able to get around most of it because we had, uh, uh, Frank was very nice, uh, was nice enough to come pick me up in Madison when I flew in today. And uh, 
he had already registered, so it made it okay to get in, but still, even with that, it still took us about 40, 45 minutes to get through all the traffic, but it was amazing how much, how much was lined up, and I can't imagine, um, I can't imagine how, how those people felt sitting out there with really no information, there's really nobody out, out there passing on any, any information, so, yeah. the, the, uh, yeah, just so, it's, it's great, and, you know, Part of that uh, whole whole story is that uh, uh, we got informed today and got shown a picture of a 172 that got toppled, and then a brand new Piper Cub had what, what was it, 35 hours, 40 something hours, yeah, I think. 40, yeah, 40 something hours that got toppled by the storm as well and damaged uh, extensively, from what we understand. So it was pretty uh, sporty up here, I guess, huh? Yeah, it was. Um, so Nick and I arrived Thursday. Steph joined us yesterday. Um, so was that kind of a pretty uh, easy go? Smooth. It was smooth. smooth. Yeah. No, it was not smooth. Um, so let me think what day it was. So that was Saturday. So Friday night um, at home, there was also a pretty significant thunderstorm that came through my area, which not a big deal there. Obviously, I was not traveling, but it did kind of prevent me from sleeping. I'm pretty good at sleeping through anything, but this was a pretty intense thunderstorm. Like lightning seemed like it was just across the street because it was one of those see the flash and then immediately bang and the whole house shakes type of a thing um so it was around midnight finally got to sleep about one o'clock i heard a notification on my phone and i rolled over and looked at it i said uh your flight from uh o'hare to appleton has been canceled great <laughs> so that was for the next day i was like you know what not gonna deal with this right now so i just rolled over went back to sleep and then uh got up pretty early in the morning had planned to do that already to, to get a run in. Um, my first two miles of warm up stuff, I was just on the phone and on hold with American Airlines trying to figure out how to either rebook it or get a refund or whatever. Apparently, there were a lot of people calling them at six o'clock in the morning, East Coast time, for probably various similar reasons. Um, I could not get on, uh, they, they were unable to rebook me into Appleton that day or today or tomorrow. Seems like Appleton is a um, popular destination right now. I'm not sure why. Hmm. Um, so anyway, they said, well, we can get you to Green Bay at like 930 at night. I went, eh, uh, no, I don't really want to do that. It's like, you know what? I'll just go as far as Chicago. Not a big deal. Rent a car. Drive up to Appleton. Uh, you can rent cars one way from, from most of the major uh, car rental companies here. But apparently they've had enough folks do that that they did not have any additional one-way rentals available for any of the major car rental companies out of Chicago. Kind of a last-minute uh, inquiry into that. So then I started looking around at other airlines and was able to actually find a seat on the United flight that was later in the day, like 4-something in the afternoon, 3.50, arriving just before 5 o'clock. I said, oh, that'll be okay. Still reasonably um, early in the day. Not a big deal. Just a little bit of extra time to wander around O'Hare. And so got to O'Hare, no problem. Um, collected my check bag, checked in both of my bags with United just because I did not want to have to lug them around the airport for six hours. Uh, decided that I needed to leave the airport to get a nice Chicago hot dog, an authentic one. And it was about 106 degrees real feel temperature in Chicago yesterday. Might be the sweatiest 1.2 mile walk that I've ever done. I did it twice all the way down to the restaurant and all the way back. But you weren't sweating, you were glistening. Sparkling. sparkling. Yeah, sparkling. Yeah. No, it's quite sweaty. Uh, it was gross. It, and there was like a 16, 16 mile an hour, 16 knot wind. I don't know. 
And it was just like hot air being blown in your face. It was gross. Um, so then went back to the airport, found a space uh, in one of the lounges, which was nice and air conditioned. Had a couple of uh, adult beverages there. Boarded my plane. Everything boards on time. Pushed back from the gate on time. And the previously mentioned uh, weather that came through here earlier in the day yesterday uh, was approaching Chicago at that point, which uh, the winds shifted and they decided to turn the airport around right after we pushed and were trying to head towards the runway. So then we had to wait for all of that to happen. I think we spent an hour on the ground taxiing at O'Hare. And the whole time this is happening, I can see the storm getting closer and closer. Like a lot of lightning, very dark looking clouds, and I was sure just a lot of wind and nasty things coming with it. Um, but we were able to get out just before it, it got there. So uh, two hours gate to gate, O'Hare to Appleton, which is like, I don't know, how many miles is that trip? 150 nautical miles? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. So little, little uh, delayed, but got here. Got here just fine. Eventually found someone to find my... Uh, check bags which actually came on an earlier flight than i did and then uh yeah these guys picked me up frank chandler very nice for him to uh, come up to appleton and collect me as well and i've been here ever since oh frank's been a complete trooper isn't he we've uh, oh yeah yeah i sincere thanks to him and his fantastic daughter uh who's also a steph uh who has mm-hmm. he's been brilliant he's been taking us around the place and uh Get it, take us out shopping or more or less every day, offered use of vehicles and things, and uh, been really great. So, uh, thanks very much, D Frank. Yeah, big yeah. shout out to Frank. And so, not only did he take Nick and I up to Appleton to pick up Steph, but he also this morning headed out early and went out to uh, Madison to pick up Dana. Yeah, it was, it was great. He was waiting there with a smile and videotaped me come down the escalator. And he, he just uh, was just such a, a great person to ride from uh, Madison to here and we actually spent about an hour and a half maybe a little more but the the most fun part about it all he got to watch me go shopping <laughs> at the supermarket <clears throat> which I bought plenty of food for us to now have and for me to cook for us uh, for a good part of the week hopefully and then um, of course amazingly enough there was a liquor store attached to that same how convenient it was very convenient the only problem is is my bill at the liquor store was about 70 dollars more than my bill at the <laughs> at the supermarket no just feeding just five people priorities are in the right place that's all and i am drinking beer and right. it's in here but the stuff the alcohol you bought was some pretty nice stuff I mean, yeah i mean i've got calumet i've got uh, balvini with a 25 year limited edition i bought some vodka and uh, plenty a beer so uh, the beer might not last me very long because i've already drank what five bottles of it so i only bought slow down (laughs) bruh over the past six hours oh but so unlike dr steph i had a a relatively easy ride up one leg into madison in the jump seat of course because uh, god forbid there's any airplane seats available but you know for for us at acme it's not a bad deal right Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. That shows uh, people still traveling. Uh, but a very pleasant ride. It's the first time I had ever been in the 717 cockpit. Uh, I've been on the 717 before, but never flew in the cockpit. And the jump seat's uh, a tad bit smaller than the Mad Dog 88 and 90. Very similar to the 90 jump seat, but a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really nice avionics package. And I was watching them operate the aircraft in... You know, it's a really nice airplane. So if I do go fly that aircraft, uh, I'm actually kind of looking forward to it. 
because it seems like a, a quite quite a nice flying airplane as well. Yeah, as I said before, everybody that I know who uh, who has flown it or is flying it, love it. So there you go. Excellent. So here we are. Here we oh, are. Absolutely. Yay. Yay. Thank you, Frank. Yes. Here's Thank yeah. You. Let's uh. Cheers, Stephanie. Cheers, Frank. Cheers, Frank. Frank. Cheers. And his wonderful daughter, Stephanie. So, Frank, when when's dinner? Exactly. Yeah, just kidding. Um, let's see. What else do we want to talk about? Um, this this RV is really nice, but we've been telling you about it for quite some time. But it's nice and comfortable. Uh, we'll really get to test its capacity tomorrow because the fifth member of the crew, Liz, the producer, she's coming in tomorrow, and uh, we'll. Uh, We're sorry you're not here right now to uh, join us for the show, Liz. Yeah, Liz, but you're. But you're here. Well, you're not here, but you're. She's in the chat room. Yeah, so she's still kind of controlling everything from her uh, position in Toronto. So anyway, look forward to uh, seeing her tomorrow, and then we'll be all whole. All right. Um, Can I just do one quick shout out? Absolutely. For a, uh, a, a family member, really, of my uh, son's uh, girlfriend, uh, Bethan, has. Uh, a friend, uh, I'm not quite sure if it's a friend or relation, uh, Reese Parry, who is apparently a devoted listener. Oh, so brilliant. Thank you very much indeed, hey, Reese, for listening. Hey, Reese. Very good. Excellent. Um, just quickly before we get into the uh, coffee fund, um, something came in. I meant to mention this on the last show. Uh, Richard said, Hey, uh, my name's Richard. I recently started listening to the show. I have a question. However, not sure you may be able to answer it. I'm trying to listen to all the episodes starting from 001, episode one. However, on my iPhone podcast, it only lets me go back as far as episode 93. Is there something I may be doing wrong? Would really like to go back and then subscribe as a patron or to the coffee club. Thanks, Richard. Well, Richard, you, uh, we do have a way for you to go back. Uh, the reason why I decided to start at episode 93 is because Dana was on episode 90, and I just thought it was bad for new people to start at that one. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> just, just cut it off at 91. <laughs> yeah, that's true. See, that's why you know that I'm not really being honest here. Uh, so the way the podcasts are delivered are via something called an RSS feed. And that's why the way iTunes and podcasts and all these other apps work. And there's a lot of information in that feed. And there are some rules out there as far as how much, how much data can be in this feed before it just becomes too great. And at a certain point they start lopping off episodes from the beginning. So we are right at now, right now about 90, episode 93 to 380. This is 384. Um, so you can still listen to the show by going to the website, airlinepilotguy.com, and uh, there is a podcast tab. You can do a search on, um, on the website and just search for like 001, and then you can listen to it from the website. Um, I'm sure that um, there's a way that I might be able to work with... Uh, uh, the podcast guru Mike Dell to uh, come up with a way, perhaps maybe make a separate RSS feed, and then we can have a feed for the early episodes, maybe the first couple of years, and then uh, a feed that covers all the new stuff. But we're going to work on that. EPG, the early years. The early I years. I like it. Yeah. And uh, so you can always go to that uh, to the website and listen to all of our shows. So and you know I think. It would work if you went on Google and just typed in APG 
001, APG 002, and it'll probably take you right. Let's let's do an experiment, see if that works. A live experiment on air while we're recording. Steph's going to do it before I can do it. A Nothing could possibly go wrong. Oh, no, I'm just uh, yeah. in the chat. Zero, zero. Yeah. Oh, okay, one. Yeah. Uh, that's why I was reaching for my phone over here. Yeah. On Spotify. Mm-hmm. I can get all the way back to the very beginning. Oh, excellent. I don't know why Spotify has it in. Because they're using the same AP, feed. APG001. Oh. Hmm. Well, maybe the whole... When I looked at the feed recently, um, the actual feed... It's an XML file. The the earliest one was 93, so I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, I guess there's not a lot of bandwidth here, and I'm getting a lot of... Sorry. That's okay? I'm, I'm checking Pandora as well. Okay. No, don't do that. <laughs> oh, that's oh, nice. Easy. Oh, God. That's pretty. I'm to that's true. Why is it... There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what Jeff is doing. It's, it's the, the video. The, oh, the girl. okay. Yes. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Oh, wait. She does her arm like this. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's not working. No internet. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I was trying to um, get back into the chat room, and it keeps kicking me out because my internet is not the greatest. Hmm. Mm. Oh well, I think that'll work. Give it a try. What do you, and see what and, and let us know if that works or not. We're we're trying to uh, solve this problem, and also on Pandora, all the way back to episode one. Okay. Huh. I'm I'm imagining that they probably haven't updated the RSS feed uh, recently. They're using an older version of the feed. I'm guessing. I don't know. Does it have our latest episode in there too? Uh, probably does. I think it does. Okay. So uh, what I'm what I'm finding now is I don't really know exactly. Three eighty three. There much. Any, I don't know anything about feeds. <laughs> <laughs> so all this stuff I said right before this point, back going back about five minutes. But yeah. hey. At least we're now 50%. 50%, yeah. yeah. Exactly 50%. And if you and fix that, it in post, we'll be better. Yeah. So, Richard, basically, I don't know the answer. We'll, we'll try to come up with something. I'm sure Mike Dell might be listening to this, and, and he'll get a hold of me and, and uh, probably sh- want to shake me. And then he'll tell me what to do. Okay. So, basically, a big never mind there. And let's see. That's about it, I think. Anything else to talk about? No, mm-hmm. no just is that... That's uh, these are all old okay. things. I never yep. erased it. I, I got nothing else. Okay. And now, guess what? It's time for the coffee fund and singing. Have you got the words? Don't need it's, words. I love beer. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right, the coffee fund is your way to support the show financially. And you can find out how to do that by going to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. Give us the money. Yes, please. And, we need the money. <laughs> and since the last episode, using the coffee fund classic method, didn't have this prepared at all. So, uh, fix that in post? Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> if you contributed and you're listening right now, you know who you are. Yeah, you do. And, and the, the, those are the people that use the uh, Coffee Fun Classic 
But we also have Patreon, and you can become a patron of the show by going over. And we have some new producers, and here they are. I'm going to talk about them right now. Well, maybe nobody contributed. No, there were some. That, nobody left. Yeah, so we have some new producers. So, hey, thank you all of all of you for becoming patrons of the show. If you, listener, want to become a patron, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. And so will we. So won't we. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! All right. Wasn't that great? <laughs> all right. Fabulous. Done very professionally. <laughs> Stand by for news. Mirror.co.uk. Nine people are dead after a small plane carrying skydivers crashed into an island in Sweden. Witnesses watched in horror as the aircraft plummeted into the island outside the northern city of Umeå on Sweden's eastern coastline, killing all aboard. One witness said he heard the strange sound and watched as the plane plummeted nose first toward the river Um, then crashed out of sight with a loud bang. Axel Peterson, 16, uh, was sitting on the couch at his home near Umea Airport eating when he heard a sound from the skies becoming higher and higher pitched. Axel said he is used to the sounds of the planes arriving and departing, but described the noises like one he had never heard before. He went outside and saw a plane circling. He began filming and seconds later captured the plane plummeting rapidly. He said he heard it crash with a loud bang, then everything went quiet. Axel said his pulse rose. Oh, said his pulse rose. What does that mean? His pulse rose. Oh, his. Ah, okay. <laughs> Axel said his pulse rose and he barely breathed, thinking, What the hell is happening now? What the hell is happening now? What do I do now? How's that? Should we do a more dramatic reading of that? No, no. okay. And <laughs> he called for his parents who immediately alerted emergency services at a press conference following the crash air crash investigation. Dana, um, <laughs> I just arrived on the motorcycle. <laughs> yes. Uh, air crash investigation authorities told media all the dead were Swedish, including one person who had dual citizenship. The authorities rejected reports a wing had fallen off the airborne plane before it crashed. Witness reports in the Swedish media said some of the parachutists were seen trying to jump off the plane just before the crash. Authorities in Sweden said the plane had taken off from the Umea airport shortly after 1.30 p.m. and sounded an alarm at 2.12. Uh, it crashed in the river near the island of Storsenskar, which is Storsenskar, which is located about two kilometers from Umea airport. Anyway, so uh, we there's more to the story, which we'll have in the show notes. But the, um, the interesting thing is the first little um, video thing that you can click uh, there it's a news report and they show cell phone video of the airplane coming down and it really does almost appear that the wing is it's hard it's very fuzzy hard to see 
Uh, but all, it almost does look like the, the wing had fallen off, but I don't know. That may, that might be the nose right here and the body of the airplane right here, and these are the wings. I don't know. Almost yeah. like smoke trailing. Oh, yeah. it could be. I don't know. But if you look there. at the video, it, didn't, it doesn't look like smoke. So that, yeah, I don't know. Do we well, know? Either if, way, if, not, if, not good. So what about... If that's the case, and I would say the shorter part of the photograph looks like the body of the airplane, yeah. and the longer is the mist... Is a wing, and missing. so one wing's gone. And the way it was falling out of the sky and spiraling, it kind of lends credence to the fact that uh, one of the wings fell off, but we don't know. Um, but check it out yourself. You can watch the video. But I was going to ask Steph, since you uh, do a lot of skydiving, uh, it, the, it mentioned there that the skydivers were seen trying to exit the airplane. I mean, that would be almost well, impossible. Yeah, wouldn't it? I mean, if uh, I actually have but, not clicked on that video. Um, but it would depend on the attitude of the, the aircraft, the ease of getting out at that point. And generally what you do, like if there is an aircraft emergency, the skydivers are going to take their direction from the pilot, whether they should try to exit the aircraft where they are or if um, they should stay with the aircraft. Um, but it, there's some emergencies where that's just not possible. Um, so then it's that it is up to the individual skydiver what they're going to do at that moment. But if the attitude was quite unusual, that might just be hard to do. You might not be able to get to the exit. Yeah, and all the, I would imagine all the centrifugal or centripetal Yeah, forces. I mean, you might not be able to get out, of the, out from where you're sitting, whether it's on a seat or a bench or on the floor. A lot of times in skydiving aircraft, you're sitting on the floor of the aircraft. Um, it could be really difficult to get out. Yeah, so hopefully we'll know, you know, I'm, I'm sure they're, they're doing the investigation and perhaps they already know what happened here, uh, but uh, we don't have that information yet. So, tragic. Yeah, yeah, definitely not good for um, skydiving community worldwide. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, next one is item B, uh, a McDonnell Douglas MD-11 freighter. Monday, June 6th, 2016. Oh, thank you. Steph's pointing out to me that this is the final report, apparently. This happened, what? Three years, three years ago. ago. Yeah, a little more than three years ago. Um, UPS Flight 5X61 suffered a runway incursion and nose gear collapse in a takeoff accident at Seoul Incheon International Airport. The aircraft, a McDonnell Douglas MD-11F cargo plane, was bound for Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, the, car, the aircraft's takeoff weight was 629,600 pounds, which was below the maximum allowable takeoff weight of 630,500. It was pretty darn close. The flight was cleared for takeoff from runway 33 left. The aircraft reached V1 speed after a ground run of 6,413 feet. At that time, the crew heard a noise originating from the failure of the number 9 tire, which is the left-hand tire on the central landing gear. The number 10 tire on the same landing gear also ruptured. Vibration and torsion forces then caused the owner, the over, oh, over overdrag brace? It says O-W-E-R, but that must be a typo. The... Lower? Lower, yes, it's missing an L, thank you. The lower drag brace of the central landing gear to break. The drag brace then hit the body several times. This caused a rupture of the hydraulic system, brake system one, reducing the total brake efficiency to about 48%. As, oh, that's kind of close to our accu accuracy uh, rate here. Uh, as the crew rejected the takeoff. With 4,635 feet of runway remaining, the aircraft began to decelerate. The aircraft required a deceleration, dis deceleration distance of at least 55 150 feet. 
from the position where the takeoff was rejected. As a result, the MD-11 stopped at approximately 1,591 feet past the end of the runway. The nose gear collapsed and the number one and number three engines contacted the grass. The, let's see, who was the, I guess the accident um, investigation board for South Korea uh, noted that there is an inherent difficulty in determining the flight performance of an aircraft after V1 when limited information and little time is available to the crew for a go-no-go no go decision. The UPS Flight Operations Manual states that after V1, rejecting takeoff is not recommended unless the captain judges the aircraft cannot fly, but the manual does not establish a definition of non-flying. Uh, the Accident Inve Investigation Board notes that it would be beneficial for the aviation industry to provide flight crews with definitions of non-flight flight ability and additional guidance and training as to how to judge aircraft flight performance under certain circumstances, especially after V1. Um, so the cause of this uh, translated from the Korean language. After the takeoff determination speed, V1, the high-speed takeoff abandonment is performed by the tire of the central landing gear and the drag brace defect, and the runway is separated. <laughs> That's not a very good translation. <laughs> Clear as mud. Clear as mud. Um, for limited time available information on the encounter situation, dynamic instability of dragging of central landing gear after tire failure, decrease in braking performance due to the rupture of hydraulic pipe of brake system one. So Nick and I had a conversation about this. You know, and Dana uh, would agree, I'm sure, that um, our policy our all our airline policies are you do not in a in the high speed takeoff realm reject a takeoff for a tire that blows um, or fails uh, but this case might be a little bit different because two tires fail two tires failed and then the lower drag brace was like out there banging around making all kinds of racket and it could have been the determination by the captain at this point that the aircraft wasn't going to fly but I, all I can say is that our guidance is that you take the airplane with a tire failure unless you think there's no way the airplane's going to fly. Yeah, I think the, the uh, wording is something like um, unambiguous indications that the aircraft cannot fly. Oh, see, that's a good word, unambiguous. Yeah. That gives you an out. Yeah. Because there was like, yeah. this may have been a situation where it was ambiguous. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure I don't, if that I don't the think exact it's wording, but that's yeah. the way I, I describe it when I used to give my briefing. So, yeah, um, the trouble is that you really can't diagnose exactly what's happened down the back there. And so long as the engine instruments are fine, if you've just lost a hydraulic uh, system, um, that's usually not an unambiguous situation. Because you hear a lot of noise doesn't mean that the airplane can't fly. But what I'm would reject for would be yeah if the flight control stopped moving or you lost two engines uh, and you were still safely on the ground they those for me would be cases when i would abort above v1 but uh, generally speaking uh, that this failure i wouldn't have thought fell into that category mm -hmm. yeah i mean take take for example that uh, case in willow run up and just outside of detroit with that md80 product uh the captain chose to abort uh, because the you know went with the flight controllers, he went with the elevator and tried to pull the aircraft off the ground. And it wasn't rotating. And it wasn't rotating. That to me is yeah. a that's is, clear. That's, that's unambiguous. Like, the plane, <laughs> plane is not flying. So well, but you know this the, the you know the kind of coming back and and, and almost saying, uh, you know, how how is he going to know that he's lost two tires down there? 
number one. On an MD-11, doesn't have it. I don't Well, actually, the MD-11 has the new uh, indicating system. Very, very similar to what I saw in the 717. So they may, it may have flashed up for them. But, you know, again, I agree with you. It's, it's, it, with that type of situation, you're, you're going to take the airplane flying. And more than likely, uh, you know, unless it cut all the hydraulic lines when it came up, the aircraft was going to fly just fine. Yeah. So I agree with you guys. I mean, I, I would take an I would take an airplane. Flight. I think I think in most cases, uh, most pilots would have made the decision to continue. Yeah, I, I know we're Monday morning yep. quarterbacking, but uh, yeah, I think it's generally the teaching whether it falls into your mindset at the time. Well, I still say that the captain has to make a decision, and it's not an easy place to be to make that. That's a really no. difficult decision to make. Especially in a, in, a, in a very split hair of a moment. I mean, oh yeah, you're, you're talking microseconds here. But you know, in, in, it was flying a hugely heavy aircraft, mm -hmm. so you know, stopping that was going to be a nightmare. Right, yeah. Yeah. and probably the only indication he had in the cockpit. I mean, he doesn't know it's separated down there. All he knows is that he's lost his two tires. That, and that's just my basis on knowing that the 717 flight deck instrumentation. It's just like the MD-11. So they had the ability to, you know, it probably flashed up that he'd lost two tires. But that's probably the only information he had, be my guess. Yeah. And, you know, and that's only a guess, folks. And you're, and you're quite a ways, I think, from the cockpit to where that center gear is oh, yeah. pretty far aft. So you, you know, may not even be able, been able to hear any of that going on. I don't know. What did they anyway. say? They heard the bang. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On the flight recorder. Yeah. All right. Anything else to say or add on that? Okay. Uh, Robert Fairbairn uh, sent us in this piece of uh, information from avweb.com, and it's regarding the ADSB pre-flight requirement issue clarified. So some pilots and operators will have another series of pre-flight checks to conduct when the ADSB mandate kicks in on January 1st, 2020. The FAA says in a new policy statement, it will be up to pilots and operators to make sure the gear, I guess the ADSB gear, will actually work along their predicted flight path. As part of the flight planning process, operators will be required to exercise, quote, due diligence in the form of a, quote, pre-flight availability prediction to make sure that an adequate GPS signal is available for the ADSB out to function properly for the full flight. In most cases, the due diligence requirement will be satisfied by checking the FAA ADSB Service Availability Prediction Tool, that just rolls off the tongue, the uh, SAPT, for the intended route. Doing so creates a record in the SAPT system that the pre-flight work has been done. So you're... Yeah, they're, they're checking what you're doing. Interesting. Yeah. The check is targeted mainly at those equipped with non-WAS... GPS receivers because they're more vulnerable to service disruptions that makes ADS-B less reliable. The FAA also notes that if the GPS status changes while the flight is in the air or the SAPT itself is unavailable, pilots will not be sanctioned for non-compliance with the ADS-B requirements. Likewise, if weather or other circumstances re require deviations into areas where GPS is unreliable, pilots will get a pass. When planned or known GPS disruptions occur, the FAA will issue a NOTAM. An earlier story based on the FAA policy statement mischaracterized the scope of the pre-flight requirement and the FAA is supplying further guidance on its applicability. So, there you go. Uh, anything to add? No. 
But I, I did think it was interesting that they actually, it records it in the system when you do the pre-flight work. So, now, you know, not a terrible thing, but I feel like more things might go that way in the future, just in general. Is this because that uh, GPS is not as reliable as they thought it was going to be? Like the, the, the uh, GPS array uh, being not no, quite as... It's the, the different uh, GPS availability. Like, for example, we're being retrofitted on our aircraft. So maybe we don't have quite the, uh, you know, I don't know if we have a WASP GPS on our airplane. No, we don't. Right. So but, but I'm saying I, I think it's more about the availability of GPS than it is the equipment in the airplane. I think I think so as well. Um, but some receivers are just more susceptible to those service uh, disruptions. Right, because they're talking about for the intended mm -hmm. route. So you look at your route and to see what the GPS array um it says, it says right here, the check is targeted mainly at those equipped with the non-WAS GPS receivers because they're more vulnerable to, to service, service, to service disruptions. disruptions. Which is so any the of them GPS can be array. vulnerable to that. It's just that if it's non-WAS, it's a little bit more likely. More likely. So that's... But uh, yeah, I think the overall point being there can be service disruptions in the GPS system. And they want to make sure that before you go flying, if you're going to be... Um, that just because of ADSB out to be functioning properly, you need to make sure that that function will work since it's a, it's mandated to have it. Because next gen is basically predicated upon um, this yeah, GPS array and the system and everything else, and that's why they're you know decommissioning all these ground-based navigational aids and everything else. Um, uh, and I, I, wish had, I wish we had dispatch from Mike right here right now to comment on that. Uh, that would be good. Yeah, yeah. Mike. Yeah, Mike, but I think you, Mike. I don't know where he is. Well, maybe he went back to Fond du Lac to get his plane now. Yeah, his, his plane's in Fond du Lac because they wouldn't let him come in here to land. But maybe one of those little airplanes that we were looking at on your app stuff, maybe one of them is Mike. There are quite a lot of them. Yes. Can you tell from the little green airplanes which one's his? No. No. Okay. Anyway, um, moving on to D. Airspace over Pakistan reopens. Uh, we talked about this on an earlier episode. Pakistan uh, closed their airspace, um, and now they have fully reopened its airspace to civilian flights nearly five months after it was closed, after a standoff with India. The closure forced international airlines to reroute uh, around Pakistan and cost them tens of millions of dollars. State-owned Air India and other Indian airlines were worst hit. Pakistan shut its airspace in February after India carried out an airstrike against what it said it was a terrorist training camp in Pakistani territory. And I'm not going to go through all the details of, you know, the, all the political details of why they were fighting with each other, but basically the two countries were shooting down airplanes and firing things at each other. And uh, they said, you know, we should probably shut down this airspace. It doesn't look like a friendly place to be flying. But apparently they've worked out all their differences at least enough to open up the airspace again. It certainly hit the Indian carriers, didn't it? Because I'm looking here at the uh, the, the losses that uh, Air India, SpiceJet, uh, Indigo, and GoAir they lost nearly eighty million dollars due to the closure of uh, that airspace, and that's presumably just because they had to route around it all the time. Yeah. So, guys, make peace, not war. You, that's right. You'll make more money. Honest. Yes. Peace, love. Money. <laughs> <laughs> That's our motto here. Yeah. Peace, love. We love peace money. and money. And money. Okay. Did I mention the coffee fund? No, yes. Yeah. Okay. 
uh, moving on a small plane ditches in water off of Maryland, uh, near Ocean City, Maryland. Uh, the sole occupant was evaluated by paramedics and released. He was identified as Trevor Deal, 23, of Reedville, Virginia. According to the preliminary investigation, witnesses said they saw or saw, said bleh, that they were on the beach at 20th Street about 6.15 p.m. when they saw a single-engine airplane crash into the ocean about a quarter of a mile from the shoreline. And it's really cool. The real, real reason why we're talking about this is the video that somebody took on the beach in portrait mode. Um, ah. yeah, what are you going to do, right? Every time. I know. But anyway, uh, still a good video. It shows the Cessna 172, I believe. Yes, RG. Um, coming in and basically right before it splashes or touches down in the water and um, nobody was hurt so except RG, for the airplane. RG is retractable. retractable. Yeah. So question mark, did he have his gear then? I'm, you know what? I'm know. trying to remember from the video because I actually did watch this video and I didn't realize it was an RG version of so the So maybe plane. it did have it skewered down. Then I have to go back and watch it to be sure. To be, uh, I've had just a busy week and I, I don't remember. Um, but yeah, the, you know, it, a job well done, to be honest. If you're going to, to put the plane down in the water, I think he did a really good job of it. Um, just looking at the attitude that he landed at and trying to minimize uh, injury to himself and, and others. So uh, He left the gear up, so good decision, yep. young man. Yeah, yep, definitely. Uh, to, uh, I mean, at the end, it does... Much easier to... The plane does nose over a little yeah. bit at the end, but, I mean, you have all your weight at the front end. That is good. So. Well done. Oh, that's how they did that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm thinking, what are they looking at to fig to see that they didn't have he didn't have the gear down? Oh, they're looking at the chat room. Yeah, the people gotcha. in the chat room know. <laughs> okay, very good. That's mm -hmm. why we have this on. Yeah. Yeah. They're right. our second. Break. Thank you, everybody in the Thanks. chat room. We appreciate it. All right, and then finally, um, oh, by the way, do we'll have that in the show notes. Do watch the uh, videos. Oh, this is my favorite cool. though of the week. Yeah, this is the best one. Thank you, Liz, for <laughs> whoever found this. <laughs> Okay, this is from globalnews.ca. So a Canadian, this has got to be Liz that came up with this one. <laughs> she looks at all those Canadian sites. Police in Spain have detained a man accused of trying to smuggle half a kilogram of cocaine. That's, that's a lot, half a kilogram. Yeah, that's, that's um, a pound. Yeah, uh, into the country under a comically large toupee. <laughs> the Colombian man arrived in Barcelona on a flight from Bogota on June 18th according to the Spanish National Police. Authorities noticed he was wearing a very tall wig and looked extremely nervous. He was also wearing a hat in an effort to conceal the wig. Police questioned the man and asked him to remo remove the wig. He did so, revealing a large packet of cocaine glued to his balding head. Hey, at least it was kind of matched his hair color, though. You gotta hand it. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, it matches his hair color, but it's, like, way above his head and does not... <laughs> fit the proportions of his head. It like doesn't a big look, giant hamburger patty. Yeah, it looks like he's got something underneath it, which he does. So, yeah, not suspicious at all. But the photo of him oh, with, with the wig on. The, yeah, with the wig on hideous. is the funniest. <laughs> it looks like a turd wrapped in saran wrap on top of his head. Yeah, that's a yeah. good description of it, Dana. <laughs> it does. Oh, I man. love the way they say the uh, in uh, the sorry, word? I can't quite read Suspect? it. Suspect? Uh, oh, ingenuity. Ingenuity, thank you. It's a bit small on my on my phone. Uh, the ingenuity of uh, the drug traffickers has no limit. I'm going, well, that's not very clever if you ask me. <laughs> Stick it 
pound of cocaine. Apparently, it does have a limit. (laughs) And and it's certainly been tried before. Police have found drugs hidden inside breast implants, fake buttocks, wigs, and various articles of clothing. Maybe I have a future in drug smuggling. Yeah, you know what? Well, your wigs are. Yeah, you need your other Guy Fieri uh, thing. Then uh, probably 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 work out. Yeah. That's just it's like four inches above the top of my head. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah, he's literally sitting like above his head like a helmet. Yeah. Big fail there. Big fail. Actually kind of looks like a biker's helmet with hair on it. A little bit, yeah. 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 It's the shape of it. True. He's like, no, I'm just going for a bicycle ride now that I've landed here (laughs) in Spain. Nothing to see here. Move on. All right. Well, with that, it's time now for your feedback. Captain, incoming message. All right, we're going to start with uh, item two. Ben Ippolito sent us... Oh, never mind. Looks like she already took that out. Okay. Thank you, Liz. (laughs) She changed the order. Um, This is from Rolls-Royce Trent. Just wanted to stop by and give you an update with what I've been up to over the past few years. Since it's been a w- it's way too long since I've reached out to you all, I was one of the people that put together the meetup at the Louisville Slugger Museum in August 2017, ABG 280-ish. Since the meetup, I deployed with my Air National Guard unit to the Middle East for six months to refuel many different types of military aircraft. This unfortunately delayed my commercial flight training. As of the first of this month, I'm happy to report that I passed my commercial single-engine land checkride, completing my college degree in aviation, and adding on CFI to get my hours built up. Yay, congratulations. Good job. Great. Okay, uh, to the APG crew, what master's degree would you recommend to get that would be useful in the airline industry as a management pilot or as a backup uh, if for some reason I cannot keep a medical? Law degree. Law? What about master's in business? Business. I mean, law... Law degree would actually come in handy. Did you know uh, SD? Yeah. You had a law degree. And uh, just being able to read the contract language, understand the contract language, and, and work through the contract language can be a, a huge benefit. I would also agree with the, um, um, uh, you know, a business management degree would work as well. But a uh, law degree is, is something that you can never not uh, use. Uh, underwater basket weaving. Scuba diving. That's another good one. Good choice. Um, I would also add, as we all usually do when we're talking about bachelor's degrees, uh, it should be in something that, you know, if you have to, if you lose your medical and you can't fly as a pilot, something that you really want to do, uh, something you're interested in doing, um, would be something I would recommend as well. Um, and I will also say that getting a management, I mean, a, a master's degree isn't necessarily a requirement to get hired by the airlines for sure. Um, I'd say 90, I don't know the exact the exact uh, breakdown, but 90-something percent, maybe 98, 99 percent of pilots hired out there that have college degrees have just the standard four-year bachelor's degree. Um, but, at, but since you mentioned as a management, management pilot, um, yeah, that's what we'd recommend, I think. Yeah, I, I don't really have anything to add to that, to be honest. Um, I think that's good advice. All right. Um, Dana. Oh, I'll skip Dana's part because Dana's um, up 
retrieving some beer from the fridge. I'm catering to the crowd. Caterer. He's our caterer. Um, let's see. Oh, well, that was the only other question he asked. <laughs> okay. So listen to me ask the question, then you can come back around and answer I'm, I'm it. I'm hearing it. Okay. With regards, I think Nick's trying to get your attention, Dana. I was going to finish it off, Dana. There's still a dribble in the bottom. Oh, he took away his next beer. He was wasting beer. spitting in that bottle. Uh, (laughs) If you can hear me. Okay. Yeah, they can hear you. Uh, Dana, with regards with getting my CFI, what areas do you suggest that I focus on to make the practical test as easy as possible? The runway. Focus on the runway. That's always a good thing to focus on. Uh, Focus on starting the engine. Um, What did you use to motivate yourself to keep pushing on getting the flight hours completed when you keep having those flight students that just seem to want to kill you every <laughs> land. <laughs> so, well, you know, honestly, to answer your question, um, preparing is just being prepared for anything. And, and, and you really need to look at the, the test standards uh, because anytime you do a, uh, a check ride to get your CFI, you're going to have to um, <clears throat> usually do it with the FAA. And they tend to, it really will come up down to who you have for an examiner. So if, you, if you're lucky enough to get the local examiner that everybody knows it's, uh, you know, really good, they're going to be thorough. Uh, know, know, uh, you know, you need to know your oral. Uh, and all the guide questions that are published by the FAA in the, uh, I don't know if they call them practical, te- practical testing anymore. Do they, Steph? It's been a while. I'm sorry, I said that again. I was distracted by um, opposing bases. It's their fault. Okay, no, uh, it's the PTS. Is, is that what they still call them? Yeah, uh-huh. PTS. PTS. Okay, uh-huh. so what's in the PTS? They have the study guide, the study guide, and, and that's uh, fantastic. The check ride is the commercial uh, check ride. I thought he was talking about CFI. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he is. But when you actually go and do the flying part of it, it's commercial maneuvers. So, e- from what I mostly, mostly, yeah, mostly. But you have, you know, there's some spin, spin stuff. You have to go through training on that. Um, and a lot of it's evaluating your ability to teach while flying from the right seat. Now, yes, it is a commercial check ride. Uh, it's very similar to it, but it's all doing it with your right hand. That's a big difference. Correct. So anyways, uh, as far as uh, that's your, your, your preparation, if you have a really good flight instructor, you should be good to go. They're not going to sign you off until you're ready. The other question was if you're, uh, you know, get somebody who's trying to kill you, um, the biggest thing that I always found was being patient and always talking. If you're always talking and trying to correct the person and always be ready and, and ex- expect the unexpected. So if if your student's going to try to land the airplane for the first time, don't sit there with your feet on the floor and your hands in your lap. Always follow them. I mean, always get to know the person and, 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 and really talk to them until you build up their confidence. Um, any any in CFI that I had coming all the way through, uh, the biggest thing that I always was faced with uh, is the inconsistency. So once I found myself a good instructor, I stuck with that instructor because they were able to really uh, enhance my abilities and understand you know the motivations behind. That's one of the biggest things you'll learn when you're going through CFI is what's motivating a, a student to become a pilot. Uh, and, and, you know, honestly, I still remember that to this day, one of the first things one of my, my earliest instructors said, smoothness counts. 
And so just know that you make a difference when, when you're teaching in the way that you present things and the way you uh, talk people through them, through the maneuvers, uh, and that will help to enhance their confidence, thus enhancing your ability to be ready to handle anything that's thrown at you. And I was an instructor pilot in the Air Force for four years, and here's a real, a really good piece of advice to you, Trent. Um, the student that you think is the strongest and the one that you think that you can relax and not pay attention to what's happening is the student that's going to really kill you. Because I can't tell you how many times that happened to me where I was just shocked that I thought I could really trust this guy because he was like one of the hottest sticks uh, as far as the students. And just, you know, not just kind of losing your focus, losing your concentration, kind of just assuming that this person is going to do everything they're supposed to do. Um, and then the shock when that doesn't happen, you know, and you have to remember they're, they're still students. Even if they're one of the best students in the class, they're still students and they still may make a really stupid mistake. And a lot can be said, and, and, and Nick can probably get over here a little bit further. Nick can probably uh, attest to this as well. But one of the one of the things that uh, can be very true in the airline world as well is that what you just said is very true. true. When when you are flying with somebody, and they're a real experienced first officer or captain. Even though they have all the experience, it doesn't mean they're not going to make mistakes. It doesn't mean that they're a perfect pilot. So you have to keep your, what we call monitoring skills, uh, in tune and be ready to react. Now, we talked about this in the past where I, <clears throat> if I have a new, new pilot with me that's just brand new off OE, I'm more tempted to keep my hands very, very close to the controls where, you, you know, you've said you're a little bit more relaxed with it. But that's my defense mechanism being ready. And... Even with when I'm flying with a real experienced FO, um, at this point, I keep my hands in a, in a relatively close proximity, not you know ready on my lap, pretty much, my feet very close to the rudder pedals, but not on them. Uh, so you know that's that's my old flight instructor habits coming through, and and Jeff hit it right on the nail. And always trust but verify and make sure that what your person is doing is ex what exactly what you expect them to do if not as i said talk them through it yeah don't let your guard down basically yeah. easy way to say it i should have said that to begin with but all right and uh let's see i hope you are all doing well and the next time any of you are at louisville or cincinnati let me know the ipas and bourbon is on me oh that's gonna be messy oh. yeah maybe just in your, you know. Did he say Indy? What? Uh, no, he said Louisville, Louisville. or Cincinnati. Yeah. Maybe just consume them. But that would be less messy. Yes, that's definitely mess, less messy. And Dana, you're going to need to pay attention to this last uh, postscript. Can we please have a moment of silence for the 45,000 barrels that were lost just a few days before the 4th of July? Mm -hmm. Here is a link to a local news source about the fire, and it talks about the Jim Beam fire at their distillery uh, they estimate a 50 million dollar loss so let's uh just a few seconds of, of silence <laughs> it's okay it's all right don't, don't cry that's okay don't cry they, they can make more it's just gonna, they can make more but it's going to cost me a lot more money in the short run <laughs> a lot of happy fish yeah, well, drunk, well, drunk yeah. <laughs> a lot of dead fish too. Probably. Yeah, alcohol poisoning. Alcohol poisoning yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Rolls Royce Trent, for 
your feedback. Much appreciated. And good luck with the uh, with your studies and uh, getting that CFI. Yeah. Keep us posted on that, too. Yes. We appreciate the updates. All right. Ben Ippolito, who I believe will be here at Oshkosh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, sent us his feedback uh, via Facebook. Feedback? What did I say? Feedback? Yeah. Okay. I didn't mean feedback to say that. Feedback from Facebook? Okay. As if I'm not paying attention over here. Because I was looking straight at the word Facebook when I said feedback. I know. That's why I said And I do have a tendency to, to confuse FB for feedback and Facebook. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue. I'm, I'm getting old. What'd you say, you little whippersnapper? <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you for laughing, Nick. Uh, <laughs> because because uh, Steph and Dana were just, just had this sad look on their face. Um, rumor Mill says that that's fuel, quite a lot of it naturally. So where do I start here? Uh, this is from Ben, and he sent us a link to a, I think this is... Oh, that's right. I know. It's just Facebook. A Facebook post, and it doesn't. It's not coming in for some reason in our um, in our Evernote feedback. But I did do a screen capture of the photo of this uh, jet taking off, and it's a Virgin Australian. Yeah, I've airplane. got the I've got the Seven News report here. And okay, I? why don't so, you go? Why don't you take over? Sure. Well, it's uh, Virgin Australia uh, VA sixty nine. I think it's a great flight number. Oh, yeah. I'd like to have flown that aircraft. <laughs> Um, returns Why? to Melbourne with a trail from the engine. Um, so uh, a Virgin plane uh, bound for Hong Kong turned back to Melbourne uh, because there was a, a trail of uh, vapour coming out of one of the engines. Um, it took off at 10.26 on Wednesday from Melbourne, uh, turned back about half an hour later due to an engineering fault. Well, I don't think it was an engineering fault, but I think I know what it was. But it showed a trail, what appeared to be uh, from the right-hand side of the plane as it leaves the tarmac. The 330, which was uh, something I used to fly, made it as far as Swan Hill. Uh, that sounds a little American, doesn't it? Swan Hill? Hmm. Swan Hill? Before t- <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I don't know. It doesn't sound familiar no. at all. Um, I think it's in Australia. But it landed safely. Um, and you can see quite a, a distinct uh, trail of vapour. Coming out of the engine. Now, um, my guess was fuel leak. So it is uh, reasonably common for aircraft to have uh, a rupture, a break in the fuel pipes, and you get a fuel pouring out. It can be uh, from a tank or from just from pipes somewhere. And this uh, looks like, obviously, you've got to feed fuel to the engine. So it looks like the fuel pipes at some point prior to entering the engine have... uh, uh, ruptured and uh, allowed fuel to go to go out, uh, and uh, it did a Yui, uh, as they say uh, in Australia. We so, say it here too. Yes, we say it here too. Mm-hmm. Do you really? Oh, yeah. yeah, hang a Yui. Okay. Yeah. Good. Did you mention that earlier about that was like an Australia thing? Someone said that. Hey, well, yeah. Well, Ben Australia. did. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did. Oh, he did. Yeah. I respond, responded to him like, and said, we, "Well, that's a thing here in the we, U.S." We say that hang a Yui. Yeah, he had it even pronounced like a pronunciation guide for us. Oh, excellent. Well, there you go. So I don't know about the Chuck a Yui, though. I've never heard of that. No, not Chuck a Yui, but definitely Hang a Yui. Yeah, Hang a Yui, right? Yeah. Or Pull a Yui. Pull a Yui. Or Pull a Yui. Pull a Yui. Yeah. Okay. Well, Chuck a Yui is good. I like that one. Um, oh. So, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Have to be different. Yeah. <laughs> the only yeah. Brit sitting here. I'm half Australian. <laughs> Which <laughs> <end>? <laughs> 
The yeah. good half or the bad no, half? The good half. I All wouldn't right. be bragging about that if I were you. <laughs> really? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so uh, you'll remember the incident of the uh, A330 Canadian bunch uh, run out of fuel going past the Azores? and uh, Air Transat. There you go. A330. Diverted into... Uh, uh, Le, um, oh, and the Azores. Yeah, um, that airfield down there. I can't think of it. He, it, it, he did the longest glide that any airliner uh, had to I've do. I've landed there. The Del, Del. No, it's not Dell. Um, uh, LPLA. Uh, um, Palm, no, not Las Palmas. Uh, anyway. Someone, hang, someone in the chat room, please help us. Yeah. The uh, Azores Air Transat flight. Please tell us what the... Uh, oh, I got it almost. It's La... Ah, uh, shoot. Anyway. I'm looking it up. It, but they'll uh, probably be faster than I am. Yeah. Uh, after that incident, uh, nah, not Airbus uh, rewrote all the fuel leak drills and made it much simpler for a crew, largest, thank you, to uh, identify where a fuel leak was coming from. And in the event of it uh, coming out of the engine area, it could be coming from the pylon or it could be coming... Uh, up downstream of the uh, fuel valve so you can uh, you can either shut the engine down and see if the fuel leak stops uh, you can try um, isolating it but basically uh, 30 minutes after takeoff even if it's streaming fuel it's not a major problem you may not even decide to shut the engine down because uh, you know you with an engine down you know make doubling up the problems you've got a fuel leak and now you're single engine uh, if there's no danger you might consider it's uh, safer to f do a, a two-engine approach and shut the engine down once you're safely on the runway. Uh, that's uh, the captain's call, uh, depending on what indications he had and how severe it was. But uh, it's an interesting one, that one. Uh, at least yep. it was recognized nice and early, and now the software in the Airbuses will very quickly recognize a misbalance in tanks that could potentially be caused by a fuel leak and uh, warn the crew of them. Yeah, don't we have that too, Jeff? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Good. I'm very glad to hear it. No. It's, it's, it's our eyes in, in the mass between our eyes. Yeah, <laughs> our head. Between our ears. Yeah, we, we have the, to be The mass attention. between your ears. Okay. It's not the mess, the mass. Mass. <laughs> Never mind. I was going to say something, and I'm going to refrain. Thank you. Well, I'm going to keep that such, to myself. Such discipline, she uh, Just after, real nice after. After <laughs> I went and got you guys beers, right? You didn't get me any, but I didn't say anything bad. Well, I asked you if you'd like another. You I know, but I still have uh, a gin and tonic. Yeah. Two I didn't steps. say anything particularly bad, did I? No. Yeah. Not okay. particularly. No. No, no, I don't you're think you're just I'm, laughing at me. You might just, no, I didn't. Hey, you're just no. laughing at me, which is just quite laughing. common, actually. I was just <laughs> laughing. <laughs> he was laughing because he just enjoys being together with the, yeah, the whole crew, absolutely. except Liz. So. I do like being together with Liz. I do too. No, I mean, <laughs> I think we all do. That you're laughing because you're happy to be with us, but Liz is not here. Keep and digging, be Jeff. Keep digging. Yeah, I don't know why we're still. You're still talking I don't about. Know. Okay, I'm going to move on. <laughs> Item three. Speaking of Liz, this is from Liz. Um, Mississippi crash um, from Cap.News. Have no idea what that is. Civil air patrol. Oh, civil air patrol. Civil, yeah, there we go. Yeah, that patrol. makes sense. Um, a young Civil Air Patrol pilot lost her life, and FedEx made a wonderful gift to her family. Well done, FedEx, in tragic circumstances. So, 
the article uh, continues that uh, the Civil Air Control <laughs> Air Patrol cadet died from serious injuries on July 6th when the Civil Air Patrol plane she was piloting crash-landed on the Ole Miss Golf Course in Oxford, Mississippi. Steph, would you like to continue? Sure. The uh, the accident occurred about 3.15 p.m. on the 17th hole, not far from the University, Oxford Airport, where Cadet Master Sergeant Lake Little was headed as part of a of cadet flight training to receive her private pilot certificate. She was airlifted to a Memphis area trauma center where she unfortunately passed away. Uh, right now, our focus is on Cadet Little's family, and I'm not laughing because of the the story, I would just like to clarify, this is a very um, sad and serious story. Unfortunately, Captain Jeff is making it quite difficult for me to read. He doesn't need to do anything at the moment. I can read the entire story from here on out. Thank you for your assistance. Um, right now, our focus is on Cadet Little's family and the members of her local squadron, said Major General Mark Smith, uh, Civil Air Patrol National Commander and CEO. This is a tragic accident, and we are praying for peace and comfort for everyone involved. We are working with the National Transportation Safety Board and the Federal Aviation Administration to determine what caused the crash. Little, 18, of Starkville, joined the CAP in August 2017 and had earned six promotions during her nearly two years of service, the latest to Cadet Master Sergeant in December. She was a member of the Mississippi Wings Golden Triangle Composite Squadron based in Caledonia. She also enlisted in June in the Mississippi Air National Guard's 172nd Airlift Squadron in Jackson, where she was going to be a C-17 loadmaster. In addition to her Civil Air Patrol and National uh, Air National Guard uh, pursuits, Little planned to attend the University of Southern Mississippi in the fall to study speech pathology and audiology. The memorial service uh, goes on, yeah. But uh, this is the this is the nice part of the story, uh, kind of heartwarming in tragic circumstances. Um, this is from her family, I believe. Um, yeah, it, it is. Um, her family received a, a letter in the mail. It says, we received a surprise in the mail today from FedEx. Today was to have been Lake's check ride to complete her pilot training. In addition to gaining her heavenly wings this week, she received her FedEx pilot wings as well, which was her goal-driven dream. She's smiling at me as uh, she would if I ever doubted her and saying, see, Daddy told you I could do it. Why would you ever doubt me? Thank you, FedEx, for your compassion. They sent a very nice letter along with a set of their wings to the family of uh, Lake Little, which uh, was very nice, and that was her stated goal uh, professionally to, to join FedEx at some point. Would you like me to read the uh, letter? Sure. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Little, Layton, and Patton, on behalf of the 5,000 pilots of FedEx, I would like to offer our sincere, deepest sympathies in your time of grief. A fellow captain at FedEx made me aware of Lake's desire to fly with us someday. While, we'll, while, we'll, uh, while we will never have that privilege, I wanted to reach out and let you know she was on the right track, pursuing a dream centered around a love for aviation, which few people can fully understand. As her family, I know you did understand, and I know that professional pilots around the globe would join me in applauding her love for flying. Her courage, determination, and persistence were the exact qualities that make the best pilots, and it is with deep regret I learned of her accident, as her loss is a loss for all aviators. My kindness, personal regards, Captain Robin Sabasco, System Chief Pilot, Managing Director, Flight Operations at FedEx Express. And they enclosed the uh, FedEx pilot wings. Very, very classy on the part yeah. of FedEx. I well done, really Captain that. Sebastian. That's a great letter. Yeah. And, you know... I've got tears in my eyes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and when I was reading this, I was thinking, 
this is so appropriate because people that love aviation are we're surrounded by how many hundreds of thousands of people here at Oshkosh this week that are just crazy about aviation and she was amongst amongst those who had that passion absolutely and i mean uh, very tragic obviously very young but um it, you know she was very driven for someone of her age um a lot of accomplishments already and it's yeah. just it's just a shame so. all right item four hi captain joe or do you want to read this one dana Hi, Captain Jeff. And <laughs> there's a monster inside you. <laughs> Let it out. No. Leaning forward to get to the microphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pressure on my say, belly. This time when you read it, say, hi, Captain Dana. <laughs> oh, my God. Get some <laughs> It's just a range of emotions here for Dana. He, he had oh. tears in, eye, in his eyes of sorrow, okay. and now it's joy. <clears throat> hi, Captain Jeff. I was recently on a business trip to Minnesota and got Minnesota, Minnesota, and got the opportunity to fly Acme from Minneapolis back to San Jose. I flew a seven nine uh, seven three seven nine hundred, and there was there, a, there yeah, I was having an A three nineteen, and there in an A three nineteen back to Minneapolis, I got up close and and look at the MD eighty eight, and I have a question that hopefully you or Dana can answer. I consider myself an informed av geek, but I try as but, I might. But try as I might. But try as I might. I'm reading an angle here. I <laughs> know. <laughs> try as I might. I could figure out. It's okay. Don't don't mess up your there. That's actually much better. <laughs> okay. But try as let me start that over. Um, start that sentence. Dana, I uh, Dan can answer. I consider myself an informed av geek, but try as I might. I could figure out. Couldn't figure out where they keep all the coals <laughs> that the non-flying non pilot has to shovel into the burn. <laughs> I can't stop laughing. <laughs> to keep the mad dog in the air. Also, do you have to buy your own shovels? Or are they provided by the airline? <laughs> keep up the great show. P.S. Minneapolis being an Acme hub, I was hoping to run into either APG Mad Dog Captains on Saturday morning, uh, but not so much luck. What, so was I, he outside the airport in his motor car trying to run into you? <laughs> he was hoping to run into. <laughs> uh, That's very, very mean. By you know, way, I, I, li listen, Romero. That's so funny. <laughs> no, no, Romero. It's actually, it's, it's actually several mice on a treadmill. <laughs> no, when I read this, I thought, wow, that is so funny. No, no, no. Wow. <laughs> I thought to myself. Wow. That is no, so it's funny. way better to have the real thing sitting no, right here. No, it's better to have this one. Wow. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> wow. I didn't get to finish that, by the way. P.S. Oh. Minneapolis being a, a <laughs> try again. P.S. Minneapolis being a big Acme hub, I was hoping to run into the APG Mad Dog Captains on Saturday morning, but no such luck. So I did the next best thing and listened to episode 382. Thank you. Uh, on the flight home. All the best to you and the APG crew, Ramiro. Yeah, Ramiro, that you're really a funny guy. <laughs> we'll, we'll pass along that top secret information to you, Ramiro, because it's it's true. That's true. It's clean. Just true. It's clean coal. I'll have you know. Clean burning coal. Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, All right. Anthracite. Yes. Yes, if, the, if you say so. <laughs> <sighs> 
How are we doing, Liz? Are we anywhere near the end of the show? <laughs> well, it is 739. Uh, it's, yeah, it is. It says... Oh, oh no. well, I think this is all in the wrong time zone. For some reason, it hasn't switched over. Right? Yeah, seven. Um, has she given us a uh, time? Uh, not since the half, half hour, hour point, mark. Yeah. I think I saw one that she said it was about an hour at one point. No, half yeah, hour into half the show hour. was an hour ago. Or not quite an hour ago. Okay. So Late this deals. will be an hour and a half. Yeah, I think that would be a great idea. Yeah. Uh, ten minutes from the one and a half hour mark. We're going to try to make this a little bit shorter show. So, with that in mind, let's do the most important, the favoritest part. The best. The best. I dare say. Show. Thank you. That would even be the better way to say it. The bestest. Plain tale from the plain tale from the old pilot. The old pilot's plain tales. Kill him. Kill him. Kill him. Kill him. This story has graphic references to violence and injury and may not be suitable for all ages. Please use discretion if you're playing it to a young audience. After many years of flying, I've always considered the flight deck a place of calm efficiency. It's a classically professional environment where voices are rarely raised and even during the most trying of situations or worrying emergencies, the crew work hard at controlling their emotions, staying cool and composed. The voice recorder transcript of FedEx Flight 705, however, is far from calm. It reveals one of the most terrifying situations on a flight deck that I can recall and it makes chilling reading. It's April 1994 and as Captain David Saunders, First Officer Jim Tucker and Flight Engineer Andy Peterson climb into their aircraft they see another pilot, Auburn Calloway, a jump seat passenger already on board and occupying the flight engineer's seat. He wordlessly vacates the seat to get into the jump seat. Nobody comments on his lack of protocol or the fact that his only baggage is a guitar case which he keeps on the floor near his feet. However, during his pre-flight checks, the flight engineer, Jim Tucker, notices that the circuit breaker for the cockpit voice recorder was out, cutting power to the device. He resets it, but after stepping off the flight deck for a few minutes, he found it had popped out again, or so he thought. He resets it a second time. The crew are three ex-Navy pilots and brought in as a replacement for the original crew which Callaway had been part of because they had exceeded their flight hours earlier. Had they not done so, the conclusion of this story might have been quite different. The new crew were big, fit men, the oldest being the captain at 49 years of age. Auburn Calloway was also ex-Navy and a martial arts black belt. He had achieved much in his life. It's no little thing to qualify as a Navy pilot, but since leaving the service things hadn't been going so well. Although he had a good job with FedEx, Calloway hadn't made the progress he wanted. 
His marriage was on the rocks and he had been called in by the company to face a disciplinary hearing over claims that he had made concerning his Navy flight hours in his hiring documents. It's possible that he thought this hearing might end his career. Callaway had recently taken out a $2.5 million life insurance policy, which combined with a death-in-service payout from FedEx, meant that should the aircraft he was travelling in crash, his ex-wife and children would receive a very large payout. In addition, Callaway had transferred over $54,000 in securities and cashier's checks to his ex-wife. This was undoubtedly to ensure that his family would be financially secure should he die. Believing that his life was in ruins, Galloway had hatched a plan and it involved the contents of his guitar case. Not subject to the security checks that we now take for granted, Auburn Galloway had secreted in the case an odd selection of tools two club hammers, two claw hammers, a spear gun and a knife. For the operating crew, the flight started just as it had done many times before. They were departing from Memphis in Tennessee and flying to San Jose in California in their McDonnell Douglas DC-10 freighter. After an uneventful start, taxi and takeoff, the crew were settling down to the normal routine of the climb and chatting easily amongst themselves as pilots do. It was Jim Tucker, the first officer's leg. He called, Gear up, please. IAS hold if you can. Captain David Saunders replied on the radio, Right 280-275 radial outbound, Express 705. Check, came the reply. That's Cowley's Ridge. You know about Cowley's Ridge? No, no. That's it right there. All, all this area right here? Yeah, see those trees? Yeah, it's a natural fault line. Oh, this is the New Madrid, huh? Well, it's part of it, yeah, but it's much higher in elevation and uh, the climate's different. You drive in Arkansas, you drive right over it. Well, I... As they chatted, they were unaware of what was occurring behind them. Auburn Calloway was reaching into his guitar case to take hold of a hammer. He quietly unbuckled his harness and stood, coming forward. Do you uh, live over in Kansas, Dave? Or, nah, I live in Fisherville. Oh, Fisherville, great spot. At this point, around 15,000 feet in the climb, the lives of the three crew members changed forever. And in the background of the easygoing conversation, a sickening noise can be heard on the cockpit voice recorder. The transcript blandly notes sounds of hammer blows striking pilots. three crew members had been struck over the head with multiple hammer blows. 
The flying engineer was closest to the jump seat and he had been attacked first with a vicious strike that fractured his skull and severed his temporal artery. Callaway then attacked Jim Tucker, the first officer, with a full backhanded blow that punched right through his skull. Turning to the captain, Dave Saunders, he struck from overhead, but fortunately the hammer deflected off a metal guard on the overhead panel, slightly lessening the first blow, but it nearly tore his ear from his head. Saunders tried to fight him off, but strapped in he couldn't do much, as Calloway bludgeoned him again and again, knocking him nearly unconscious. During this sustained attack, Calloway flailed about with the hammer, inflicting gruesome injuries as the crew did their utmost to fight him off. Despite what had happened, all three were desperately defending themselves. Dave Saunders shouted, Get up, get him! But the flight engineer was unable to move. Calloway retreated to get the spear gun, and when he returned, he spoke for the first time. Sit down, sit down. Get back in your seat. This is a real gun. I'll kill you. Despite having difficulty seeing and hearing little but a loud ringing in his ears, Andy Peterson is the closest, and he lunges forward, grabbing the barbed tip of the spear gun. Dave Saunders is up and out of his seat, helping Peterson, so Tucker is the only one at the controls, and he takes radical steps. He heaves the huge airliner into a climb, and then rolls the aircraft steeply over onto its side. Fighting for the spear gun, all three men are thrown off their feet, and they tumble back out of the cockpit. The flight engineer has been severely injured, and his blood is being splashed about, turning the aircraft into a scene more akin to a charnel house. Both he and the captain are fighting hard, but starting to lose to the uninjured Callaway. The aircraft's warning system is continuously alarming. Bank angle, bank angle, whilst Tucker shouts encouragement to the engineer, Get him, Andy, get him! The first officer continues his extreme manoeuvres, reaching about 140 degrees of bank, but Callaway has got hold of the hammer again and is raining blows down on Dave Saunders. Now in a steep dive with the throttles at full power and the overspeed warning sounding again and again, the aircraft is close to coming apart as it reaches 460 knots. The noise of the airflow around the cockpit is deafening and the wings and elevators are starting to flutter. The controls are no longer responding and Jim Tucker has a problem. The damage to his skull has rendered his right arm unresponsive. Flying with his left hand, he can't reach the throttles unless he lets go of the control yoke. The airspeed indicator is now off the clock, but he takes a gamble releases the controls and pulls the throttles back. Eventually, he heaves the aircraft out of the dive and keys the radio. Center, center, emergency, emergency, center, listen to me, Express 705. I've been wounded. We've had an attempted takeover on board the aircraft. Give me a vector, please, back to Memphis at this time. Hurry. In the background, the desperate struggle is still going on, and Dave Saunders is shouting, Put it on autopilot and come back here. Jim replies, 
Keep him back there, guys. I'm flying. Hurry up. Jim. Jim. Jim, is it on autopilot? No, I got it. From the rear, the captain said, Put it on autopilot and come back here. Quick, Jim. Okay. Hurry, Jim. Come back here now. Okay. Wait a minute. I'm coming. Jim, do it now. Hurry, hurry. In the meantime, the struggle in the galley continued. Calloway had managed to grab the hammer one more time to strike the captain yet again. With his flight engineer bleeding out from his severed artery and with repeated blows to his head, Dave Saunders gathered his last ounce of strength, pulled the hammer from Calloway's hand and hit him until he stopped moving. Jim Tucker's now out of his seat and he takes over monitoring the subdued man and Captain Saunders returns to the controls. With Memphis's assistance, he sets the aircraft up for an ILS to land while shouting the chilling instructions to Jim and Andy in the galley area. Listen, is he okay? Put, put that thing in his throat. I don't give a shit if he's dead or not. Don't kill him, but hold him. You got him, Jim? Whilst Dave Saunders is studying his approach, he shouts, Jim, are you under control? Are you under control? Jim's voice can be heard from the rear of the cockpit. No, no, something's the matter with me. Dave shouted, you keep him down here. I can't, Jim replied. The spear gun that was pointing at Callaway had slipped from Jim Tucker's weakened grip and the desperate Calloway takes his chance. With a clearance to land, Dave Saunders hears the struggle restart, and he shouts, Kill the son of a bitch! Kill him! Kill him! Kill him! Kill him! His crew are struggling again, so Saunders puts the autopilot back in and gets out of his seat to help. Tucker picks up the discarded hammer and hits Calloway again finally subduing him. Back in his seat, Saunders sees that they are now too high and fast for the approach, but with some steep turns he elects to put the heavy aircraft on an alternate runway. Warnings are blaring as he sidesteps the aircraft, but at only 300 feet from landing, Callaway again starts to fight. The landing is hard, and Dave Saunders uses all but 900 feet of the runway to stop, but eventually he brings the DC-10 to a safe halt. Opening a door, they deploy a slide that allows emergency personnel and police to come on board, and with Callaway safely in custody, the crew get their desperately needed medical help. The aircraft looks like a disaster area with blood pooling on the floor and splattered all over the cockpit and galley. However, despite being taken to the limits of its strength, the aircraft is eventually repaired and put back into service. Callaway is convicted of air piracy and given two life sentences without the possibility of parole. He is currently residing in the Federal Penitentiary in Atlanta. In May 1994, the Airline Pilots Association award Dave Sanders, James Tucker and Andrew Peterson 
with the Gold Medal Award for Heroism, the highest award a civilian pilot can receive. It was assumed that Callaway had intended to commit murder-suicide. By carrying everyday tools as his murder weapons, he hoped that they would go unnoticed in the aircraft wreckage and that the injuries he inflicted would equally be explained away as the result of a crash. His plan to disable the cockpit voice recorder, though, had failed, thanks to the vigilance of flight engineer Andy Peterson. Saunders, Tucker and Peterson had survived a suicidal act of piracy, but at terrible cost. Peterson had been lucky to survive the blood loss from his severed artery, but eventually he would recover from that and his fractured skull. Saunders suffered multiple lacerations to his head and was stabbed in his right arm and had his jaw dislocated. His right ear had been almost completely severed. Jim Tucker's skull was severely fractured. The right-sided paralysis would pass eventually, but he would experience ongoing motor function impairment to his right arm and leg. He was also blinded in one eye. As of 2004, ten years after the incident, due to the extent and severity of their injuries, none of the crew had been recertified as medically fit to fly commercially, although Jim Tucker has now returned to recreational flying. Wow, that is, I think, one of the best that you've done, Captain Nick. Well, that's very kind of you, Jeff. Uh, it was uh, it's a fantastic story. So it's, uh, it's hard to make a mess of an uh, amazing event like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's very kind of you. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, knowing the story doesn't ever get any easier to listen to a retelling of it, especially a very good one. Yeah, I held off for a long time on that one because it's such a well-known story, but I've had so many requests uh, from our listeners uh, to tell it. Uh, and I thought perhaps dealing with it uh, um, more from the voice recorder transcript point of view than anything else led me into the next plain tale, which is uh, a, a sort of similar event. And then into the one after that, which is going to involve a little bit about the history of the man who uh, developed uh, voice recorders for Ecra. Uh, interesting enough, I, I actually have seen one of the first voice recorders ever and data recorders ever used. Uh, remember uh, our friend in Smyrna? Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. John. John. Oh, right. Excellent. John Brech. Right. So he has actual device in his basement so and that's the same device they're still using today in the mad dog yeah it is well it's <laughs> metal tape <laughs> nick what was that story about i don't I have no clue i've you know it was terrible no I'm a fantastic job nick that's i mean you always outdo yourself it's amazing to listen to the work you do well the, the stories are all out there all i do is is rehash them and tell them uh, but thanks very much all right I think we should move on with some more feedback. Uh, number five, Sebastian. Um, before I start, Captain Nick, I'm half British, 
half French from my parents. So I'm totally on your side, whatever the whatever the argument. <laughs> that's not, well, that's, that's not very that's much at all. Yes, good man. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Plains Plain Tales is breathtaking. Though I apologize in advance, but Boeing <laughs> Wow. Wow. Okay. Nick, Nick doesn't care anymore somehow. It's, it's... <laughs> He's not as, as excited as he was. Actually, I don't think any of us really care anymore, to be honest with you. <laughs> I just wanted to share my experience with you, even though you don't need another feedback to talk for hours. But hey, that's what APG members love. My aviation career started in France since I was a little boy and wanted to become an airline pilot. My parents were living underneath uh, Charles de Gaulle, uh, Paris, runway 27 right final. And while other boys would be playing football in the garden, I was spending hours watching planes. My nose up in the air. Flight training in the France was and still is very expensive. And at that time, you needed an engineering degree and a lot of money uh, uh, to get into flight training. I believe my parents' finances and my marks in mathematics didn't allow me to do that. And instead, I joined the Navy to become an air traffic controller. I did that for a little more than 10 years and was assigned to the aircraft carrier Charles de Gaulle for many missions in the Middle East. What an experience. This was one of the best experiences I've had up to this point in my life. And working with the Dassault, Dassault, Rafael, Dassault, Dassault, Rafael, Rafale, <laughs> performances. Dassault, Rafael. Rafael, where's the, where's the Fial? I don't know, that's what I call Rafael. it. Okay. Rafale? Uh, anyway, the uh, the DR performances was incredible. If you've ever read a Tom Clancy book, life during the missions over there were just like that. Israel Israelis pilots getting curious, Egyptian getting nervous, Iranians even more, and controlling fighters in the middle of a civilian airspace where you basically don't exist is one heck of a challenge. I attach a few pictures that you might find interesting and entertaining. Yeah, we'll put those in the show notes. They are beautiful pictures. Getting bored, uh, though, of the military inefficiency when we were at, not at sea, I decided it was time for a change. My best friend at the time was just coming back from Canada and told me this is a great place to fly, and the industry is going to need a lot of pilots in the coming years. And there's this lady named Liz who lives in Toronto, and she is just great. So I started looking into it and taking into account the great exchange rate between euro and canadian dollars my training costs started to make sense so after two years of administrative immigration nightmare i managed to obtain a permanent residency status that allowed me to move over the pond and i think you've been talking about this in previous episodes while properly studying what school you need to get proper training in another country is of utmost importance. One must not forget that an Im immigration permanent status will render the project very much easier. Uh, it is, in my opinion, the first thing to consider. Also, for those who might think about doing the same thing, don't forget that the airlines will not invest into training and a type rating for you if you have a temporary resident status in the country. So I guess we was saying you need permanent status. Anyways, I've done my entire training in La Chute Aviation, with the exception of my PPL that I had obtained in France, a small school that looks more like a diner on the border of, a, of I-75 than a proper school, uh, but that had one main advantage compared to the big schools in Montreal. They had a lot of instructors, and I was able to do my entire training within a year, when other schools were overwhelmed by the number of Chinese students they take, Ch Chinese student pilots that they take. 
After getting my instructor rating, I was hired by an even smaller school in northern Quebec near the James Bay, where they actually had only a chief instructor but no instructor. That was a great opportunity as I wanted to get uh, experience fast. Being the single instructor there, I flew around 575 hours in four months. Wow. That's a lot of time for four months. <laughs> what? Yeah. I'm going to say five hours in four months? Yeah. That's pretty I don't even think, no, we well, don't even get anywhere near that. No. That's crazy. Now, now how's that for a time buildup? Though I think back, or looking back, that it was a bit too much, and I lost my desire to train PPL or CPL students. I love training. Uh, I was an ATC trainer in the Navy, but for me, the professional aviation is all about the IFR, and I don't really enjoy saying all day, quote, use your feet, <laughs> and teach how to do slow flight and patterns. After that, I joined in the same area a small 703 company. 703 is air taxi operations or underdyne passengers to do medevac flying in the James Bay Indian communities. Tough flying, old King Air 100 without autopilot or even a decent GPS, 3,000 foot gravel runways, long hours, and extremely poor salaries. I mean, I'm not doing this job for the money, but 29,000 a year is not a lot, mostly considering the price of living up north. Patients we had to transport were very often obese people, drunk and violent, with no considerations for the whites. Every country has done some mistakes with aboriginals or Indians, but even though it was sad, it was still interesting to discover these conflicts coming from Europe. I had once to board a 425-pound patient through the small door of a King Air 100. Not the funniest moment of my career, I can assure you, but it can be done. Uh, honestly, very, very sad communities with ex extremely poor social conditions. I was extremely shocked by the poor safety practices of, the com of this company and the quality of the training. I have since learned that most of the companies that that small were often alike. At the last Transport Canada audit, some pilots were asked to lie if they didn't want to be fired. This was the rupture point for me, and I thought, this is over. Knowing exactly which airline I wanted to work for, I only sent one CV. And I was lucky. I was recruited less than a month ago by the second largest airline behind Air Canada, WestJet. And I have to say, my life completely changed. I just cannot believe the resources and money these guys invest to train their pilots. The work environment is unlike any other company I've worked for in the past. I might be a young pilot with barely 1,200 hours total time, but I consider myself having a little bit of experience in the aviation industry, and I sincerely believe this is the best airline in Canada. Uh, that is, by the way, entering a joint venture with Delta. So a bright future is coming up. Right now, I'm still in the middle of this fantastic training. I'll be flying the Q400 from Vancouver, and I um, wear this ridiculous, huge smile on my face since this is really my little boy's dream getting real. When I was hired by them, I had to move from Yankee Victor Oscar. I don't know what that is. I know. I got Oh, I, yeah. Oh, in northern Quebec. Yeah. To Calgary. Is YYC? YY. Calgary? Cal YYC Calgary, not Calgary. Not oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, y That's YYC not Vancouver. YVR is Vancouver. Yeah. YYC Calgary. Okay. So, uh, right now, I'm still in the middle of this fantastic training. I'll be flying the Q400 from Calgary, and I wear this ridiculously huge smile on my face, since this is really my little boy's dream getting real. When I was hired by them, I had to move from YVO in northern Quebec to Calgary, a long 30-plus hour drive, and this is actually when I discovered APG. Thank you for making this drive shorter. 
I want to give you guys and gals an enormous applause for the work and dedication you put to give, in, to give us this great show. Discussions are fantastic, technical enough for professional pilots, and wide in variety to satisfy curious listeners. Bravo. I sincerely mean it. I think you guys are the best. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. Even though it's been less than a month that I've discovered APG, I have tens of subjects I want to share with you. For today, though, I think I've bothered you enough. But there's one last thing I would like to say. This is my advice for all the aspiring pilots who wonder, how do I do this? What? How do I do this? Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Take all the advice you can from professional pilots. They know it the best. But most importantly, do not listen to all the sad, regretful people around you that will tell you, quote, it's too difficult and it can't be done, or you have to be an ace in maths. It's not NASA. It just requires passion and perseverance. Believe in yourself, stay curious, and ahead of your career, and you will manage. That's it for now. As I said, I have a lot of subjects that I will be sharing very soon. And let me know if you want more aircraft carrier pictures. It will be a pleasure to share this experience. Tailwinds, blue skies, and a good CRFI, if possible. What's a CR CRFI? Uh, Research. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you'll have to send us another email, Sebastian, and tell us what CRFI is. Anyway, this is Sebastian Yavri. Sebastian. Jabri? Jabri? I don't know, I don't know how you pronounce that last And look at these pictures. Yeah, those, those, are, those are incredible. So are the this is the um the uh Dassault um Eurofighter, right? Raphael? I'm not I think sure. It looks like the Eurofighter. It does look like the Eurofighter, I don't know. What do you think, Nick? Um no. Okay. Uh these are ships, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> They're boats, yes. Uh, yes. Big boats. Good. Aircraft carriers. And that's an aircraft carrier because it's a ship with Aircraft's aircraft on it. Um, that's a, I don't know, probably a de Havilland something or other. Maybe a, I don't know. Anyway, it's cool. Well, so we're going to put the... Uh, look at that. The, the boat with the air on. He's looking at this one. Oh, that thing. That's uh, got propellers in it. I don't know. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> Stating the obvious. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, again, thanks, Sebastian, for uh, your feedback, and we look forward to hearing more from you. Absolutely. All right. I think Sebastian had some really, really good advice in your uh, in your feedback. So, thank you, thank you. So, as I'm trying to bend over my belly to lean towards this microphone, thank you. <laughs> I'm losing my breath. <laughs> thank you for your feedback. It's like being uh, called in place. What by Dana like means to say. No. Okay. Shall we continue, or are we uh, are we at the uh, press on? Press on. Okay. Couple more. Uh, item number six, Jared. ELT signal leads to Portland Pub. Hmm? Captain Jeff and crew, not much to say about this one, but a funny story. Cheers. This is Jared in Duluth, Georgia. The owner, this is from uh, avweb.com. The owners of a brewery put a crashed airplane on display in their new oh. Portland pub. I found out what CRFI means. Oh. Yes. Canadian Runway Friction Index. Ah. ah. Of course. Why didn't we think that? Know, <laughs> we would did? absolutely know that one. Duh. Duh. Liz, Liz you're Canadian. Did you, Why did didn't you know you that? Tell us? Yeah, you, you're supposed to be filling us in on all things Canadian. <laughs> yes. Anyway, crashed airplane on. Okay, unbeknownst to anybody at the brewery, something had accidentally activated the plane's emergency locator beacon. <gasps> <laughs> Whoops. Uh oh. It was a quiet Monday afternoon in February with only a few customers lingering over beers at Portland's new Vagabond Brewing. 
uh, in, is this Portland, Maine or Portland, Oregon? I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, Doesn't really Not sure. A Portland. One of the Portlands. An undetermined Portland. We were all down in the office for our manager meeting, says General Manager Kyle Jensen. And the bartender comes in and very timidly says, uh, there's three guys from the Air Force here to see you. <laughs> they found the plane in the place they least expected, crammed into the pub's rafters as decoration, like some sort of extra-large hood ornament. Last September, the founders of the Sa oh, Salem, uh, that would be Oregon. Or yeah. Yeah. Last September, the founders of the Salem-based brewery, a trio of friends and former Marines, were looking for a statement piece that would enhance the Portland location's overall aesthetic and reflect their love of travel. That's when an acquaintance tipped them off about a 1958 Cessna 310B that had been sitting in a field in tiny Vanderhoof, B.C. for at least 10 years, after a guy with no Canadian pilot's license or insurance made a very hard landing and fled the scene. So the group set out on a nearly 1,600-mile road trip to retrieve it. The Vanderhoof Fire Department up, uh, up there got it decommissioned through the Canadian FAA, says the co-owner, Dean Howes, and we ended up basically trading a keg of beer for it. <laughs> After repairing a blown tire, narrowly outrunning a blizzard, and some finagling at the border, the crew got the plane back to Portland and stashed it in their new spot in southeast Portland in time for the brew pub's opening in February. It was only a few weeks later when the air patrol came calling. We're not sure what's going on, Jensen says. We thought maybe we were in trouble because these guys looked very official. Unbeknownst to anybody at the brewery, something had accidentally activated the plane's emergency locator beacon. For at least two days, it had been putting out a signal to every passing pilot and nearby airports. One of the vagabond servers, who friend, whose friend works for Alaska Airlines, later said the captain of a flight got on the intercom and asked passengers to press their noses to the window to see if they could spot the down plane, not knowing it was actually roosting inside a brew pub. Eh, I find that one hard to believe. Um, anyway, quote, they were very, very nice about it, Jensen says of the air patrol crew who eventually posed for photos with the pesky transponder. It's better to find a plane stashed up there than actually have a crashed plane. How, after 10 years, is that battery still good? Must That's what I want to know. No kidding. That whole uh, and after hard, years uh, replacing batteries. Yeah, no kidding. And, and, and after a hard landing that caused the airplane to Probably total. go off anyway. Yeah. Well, at least they had an aluminum trade for aluminum trade. Yeah. Right, keg of beer for yeah. aluminum airplane. Seems fair. And it kind of fits the theme of our podcast, beer and airplanes. Beer and <laughs> nice one. All right. Excellent. Thank you, Jared. Still keep going, Stuff. I think maybe one more. Okay. Is this a good one to end on? Or, I don't um, know. Uh, scroll through it real quick. Turtle delay. Oh. Yeah, that'll be fine. Okay. This is from Brett. And... Let's see, which Brett is this? We know so many Bretts here. We're going to see if we can uh, find a little bit more. Brett Fry. Oh, hey. He's been here a couple of times. Hey, Brett. Hope you're hey, watching. Hey, perfect one. Hey, Brett. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Um, he brought us some great beer, by the way, uh, from Toledo, I believe. Yes. Oh, he was here last last night? Yeah, yesterday, yeah, last, and yesterday. last night. Yeah. I don't know if he was here today or not. Or maybe. No, it was, it was last night. Okay. Our producer agrees, too. Yes. Okay. Okay, here he goes. Uh, with so many other news stories about unruly passengers or airplane troubles, this little story brings a smile. Kudos to the crew for, number one, seeing the turtle, although I'm sure they, you pilots, are scanning for FOD during taxi, and two, deciding to delay for the turtle crossing. 
but it was in Australia, not the hurried U.S. Huh. It's kind of a slap. I think we'd stop for yeah. a turtle if we saw it. Southwest wouldn't. Well, yeah, probably not. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I know. They don't even stop, stop their own airplanes. Pilots. What are you talking about? Stop. Yeah. <laughs> we love Southwest. Okay, a Jetstar Airways flight had the cutest reason for a plane delay. A small turtle was crossing the tarmac. Aww. Aww. Suffice it to say, he took things slow and steady. A flight Thursday from Australia's Gold Coast to Adelaide was delayed for four minutes after First Officer James Fuller noticed a turtle on the tarmac where his plane had just begun taxiing for departure. They aren't the fastest moving creatures, he told USA Today in a statement. I've seen rabbits on the runway before, but in my four years flying with Jetstar, I've never seen a turtle on the tarmac. I want to thank customers for their patience while we gave the little fella right of way. The captain alerted air traffic control, and the turtle was able to return to a less bustling habitat. Quote, wanted to give a shout out to our flight crew, who brought the plane to a stop for a few minutes while taxiing at OOL to allow a gorgeous little turtle to cross the runway in front of the aircraft and make his way, yes, slowly, give him a break, it's a turtle, to the creek near the airport fence. Passenger Lachlan Burnett wrote on the airline's Facebook page, made mine and the other passengers' day to see that. Lovely stuff, JQ pilots, well played. Excellent. So that almost sounds like a show title to me. Turtle on the tarmac. Turtle on the tarmac. I like it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually Absolutely. love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good. When do I ever pipe up? Never do. Uh, can someone be able to remember that tomorrow? Liz. Liz. Turtle on the tarmac. Liz. <laughs> you got to do it right. Write it tarmac. down. Tarmac. Tarmac. T-H-M-A-C. Tarmac. Got it. All right. Well, hey, you know what? It's time for us to end this show. Um, yes, we know it was shorter than usual. Yes. But... It's, it's not a normal show for us because we're on location here in Oshkosh and there's a lot of stuff going on around us and we're afraid that we're going to... And it's it. starting to get dark and we actually need to cook some dinner. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah, really what... I can't prepare. I've got my headlight. I do too. Oh. Yeah, so... And see. we actually have lights out there too <laughs> that eliminate yes. the whole area. Oh, perfect. See? Yeah. See? It doesn't matter too we much. Got you guys. But it is also 830 and it's, yeah, time, time to eat. Yeah. All right, with that... Uh, if you want to learn more about the show, you know what to do. Head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com, where you'll find information about the crew, the community, uh, merchandise, APG Live, the Plane Tales uh, site or webpage. Uh, what else is there? Um, all the things. All the things are there. Hillel's even here. Oh, what is Hillel? I don't. Oh, have we the, needed uh, Hillel here live. Yeah, we should have had uh, him here. Oh, damn! Yes. Are you sure he's, he's not in the bathroom? The, he's somewhere in the. Uh, he, he may be. be. But before well, we, we well, get to Hillel, let's see. Uh, let's let's let her talk about social meds. Social meds. This is a good week to follow us on the social meds, because as soon as I have some sort of um, signal back on my phone right now, it's <laughs> I don't know. Sprint stinks. Yeah, it's T-Mobile. Um, not doing so great right here in the RV at the moment, but there are um, better places around uh, Oshkosh for me to upload things. So, uh, Twitter, Facebook. And maybe some Instagram posts coming your way. APG Crew, all of those places. Actually, no, I take it back. APG Crew, Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Airline Pilot Guy. Find us there. Yeah. You, you'll feel like you're here at Oshkosh with us, and, even if you're not. And not that I'm touting my cell service, but this whole entire podcast has been done on my cell service on the hotspot. Yep. Yep. Good job. <laughs> Yay. Excellent. 
Marcus. All right. Yay. Big round of applause for well, Verizon for AT and I'm not telling because okay. I'm not. Po- I'm not. I am you're, not. You're not. A, you're not promoting it. I'm not promoting it. That's correct. But okay. Well, we're great. I think. I don't know. Yeah. We haven't had any complaints. So, no? excellent. And um, we're on uh, something very similar to a social media. Hello. Oh, there he is. Hello. Oh, he Come is over there. here. He is there. Yeah, make some room Look for him, him so he can talk. Yeah, tell yeah, us about Slack. Okay. Uh, stay away. You stay hell. <laughs> APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your Flash, mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share ideas and news. We suggest episodes and Plain Tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra, Lima, Alpha, Charlie, Kilo, at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled H-I-1-1-E-1. Hotel India, one one Echo 1. And see you in Slack. Sensible advice. And with that, um, thank you for joining us for today's show, and a big uh, round of applause for our producer, Liz. We will see you tomorrow, and we'll get you a link here in a moment. Yes, link to what? She said she's one. Oh yeah. Well, what? She said she's one. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, um, she's got to get up for a flight tomorrow morning. Oh, that's right. Okay, and uh, what else was I going to say? Um, thanks to our uh, live chat room, watching us li- uh, recording live. We, Even uh, our live audience. Tonight. Live audience. We had a yep. live audience, a huge live audience of one. one. And, uh, but he was very, very quiet, so we appreciated that. And until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Cheers, everybody. Safe landings, everybody. Good day.